I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 33. While you're turning there, let me give you a quick reminder of what has happened in Matthew chapter 12 so far. Jesus has done two major healings, and while he's doing that, he has claimed to be what he calls the King of Rest, or the Lord of the Sabbath. And at the same time, his enemies, the Pharisees, have been angry that he did these two healings and have counterclaimed that Jesus is, in fact, the king of demons, or at least in league with Beelzebub, the prince of demons. As the young people say today, that escalated quickly. You can see that there's no middle ground between these two positions. Jesus has all but said that He is the Son of God because He has claimed to be the Lord over the fourth commandment of God. But the Pharisees have said that Jesus is actually not the Lord of the Sabbath, but the Lord of the flies. The Lord of the heat. Or at least working for Him. There is no middle ground between these two positions. You can't find this compromised position. Well, you're a little bit of this and you're a little bit of that. No. It's either one or the other. They cannot meet in the middle. And Jesus has used this moment of tension to invite people to trust and follow Him. Like those students at Crew. Jesus has invited us to come to Him. In our weariness, and under our burdens. And He says He will give us rest. He's invited us to take His yoke of discipleship on ourselves and to walk with Him. Learning from Him. And He will give us rest for our souls. He says because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He says it's because He's gentle and humble of heart. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is not in league with Satan. His kingdom is diametrically opposed to Satan's kingdom. And Jesus is so much stronger than Satan. Satan may be a strong man, but Jesus can tie up the strong man and take anything from his house that he wants. So he invites us. To follow him. He says that you and I need to choose to follow him and take his side because whoever is not with Jesus is against him, and whoever does not gather with Jesus scatters. Remember that from the last few weeks? We didn't get to finish this section last Sunday. There are only five verses left where Jesus finishes his response to the Pharisees. It's verses 33 through 37. Last week, I decided to leave this last paragraph to this week because we were running out of time last week and because these five verses are really powerful and really practical for our lives today. Let me read them to you. They should be familiar to you. I'll bet they are. They are really familiar to me as I studied them and studied them and wrote about them in my doctoral project and then my book and then have preached about them from out of my book for the last eight years. For anybody who's had to follow me around, listen to me talk about it, my my teenagers over here, they're probably almost tired of these verses. The key word 
in this paragraph in the 1984 NIV is overflow. Overflow. So I want to make that the title of today's message. The 2011 NIV, some of you have in front of you, uses the words full of. Full of. The English Standard Version and the King James Version have the word abundance. Abundance. The Greek word is perisumatos. Overflow. Let me read it to you and then listen. And, and while I do, listen closely for that word. Matthew 12, 33-37. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Would you pray with me? Father, we have sung so many good words this morning. We've given thanks. We've been reminded of your amazing grace. We've sung about who we are. We've sung about your great faithfulness. Now we're going to look at some great words. Words that penetrate all the way to the soul, all the way to the heart. Help us, Lord, to open up our ears and open up our hearts to whatever you might want to do in them. And help us, Lord, to find our rest in Jesus. I sense in this room a a lot of burdens today, a lot of pain and weariness. And you have invited us to find our rest in you. So I pray for each one to do that. And as Lord, you're doing soul surgery on us, if you're changing us, making us more and more as you want us to be, we invite you to do that too. Because we know you do all things well. You are good and you do good. So we put ourselves in your hands. We trust in your unfailing love, in your new morning mercies, in your grace. And we do this now in the name, above every name, the name of the King of rest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus starts by talking about trees. He just got done talking about the unforgivable sin of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, attributing to Satan what is clearly the work of God and rejecting Jesus forever. And then in the very next verse, Jesus is talking about trees. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Is Jesus talking about horticulture? Now he's talking about people. Why would the Pharisees say what they said about Jesus in verse 24? That's the question. 
It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. How could they say that? Where'd they get that? Where did that come from? Well, Jesus says, people are like trees. If a tree is good, and by that he probably means healthy, then its fruit will be good. If the root system and the trunk and the heart of the tree is healthy, then it will produce healthy fruit, right? Or if you make a tree bad, you make it unhealthy, guess how its fruit is going to be? Unhealthy, bad, rotten. And you can always recognize what kind of tree, healthy or unhealthy, or, or even what species of tree, apple, orange, fig, whatever, it is by its fruit. So Jesus says it's no wonder that these men said what they said in verse 24. Jesus says, verse 34, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus goes from calling them trees to calling them snakes. You family of snakes. That's what he's saying. That's who you are. Are we just saying, I am who you say I am? Well, Jesus said to these people, I am, you are who I say you are, and you are a family of snakes. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? It's no surprise that you're saying the evil words of verse 24, because you have evil hearts. You have snake hearts. Heard of snake eyes? He says, these guys, they had snake hearts. And, and how does he know? It's clear from their snake words. And then he says, from out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A few years ago, when I was preaching from this text, some of you came this morning looking for pyrotechnics. There won't be any. Uh, I was preaching from this text. I poured a whole bottle of water out on the stage. Some of you might remember us doing that. It was 2011. It's been a while. And then I said, why is there water on the stage? And some of you thought, our pastor has gone out of his mind. And then I said, well, why isn't there Kool-Aid or Pepsi or orange juice on the stage? And the answer was, because Cindy Green would hurt you. No, the answer was, because there was water in the bottle, right? What comes out of the bottle is what was in the bottle. Overflow. Well, Jesus says that what comes out of the heart was what the heart was full of. What, what, what comes out of your mouth is just brimming out of what is in your heart. The abundance of the heart. The overflow of the heart. So here's the application point number one of just two this morning. Get real about your heart. The reason why Jesus uses such strong language do you think about Jesus talking this way? You family of snakes. He's not afraid to go there. Why did he use such strange, strong language? It was to wake them up, to wake these Pharisees up to reality. They were a brood of vipers. They were bad trees. They were saying these bad things about Jesus because their hearts were bad. And they need to wake up to their condition and tend to their sinful hearts. In other words, they needed to repent. 
And if they're too far gone to repent, then the people around them and the people listening, like you and I, need to take note and not go down that road themselves, ourselves. Your words reveal your hearts. Now, I'm sure that these men thought that they had good hearts. But they were self-deceived. Jesus is calling them to get real about their hearts. What, what is the heart? The heart is the real you. It's the inner you. It's the, the you on the inside. The heart is the, the control center of the human being. In, in the Bible, the, the heart is the part of you that worships. The, it's the part that wants, that desires, that prioritizes, that is loyal to something or someone. We tend to use the word heart for just the emotions. Like, that guy plays with a lot of heart. Or, you know, the pulling the heart strings. But the heart in the Bible is a lot more than the emotions. It's bigger than just your feelings. The heart is the worshiping core of you that directs your being. You do what you do because of your heart. The Proverbs say that the heart is the wellspring of your life. Jesus pulls this language of overflow from from the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus has already taught us how important our hearts are in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, His kingdom is not just upside down, it's also what? Inside out. From the heart out. You can sin just on the inside. And then it will work itself out in reality, in, in, in your actions, in your words. Our words come from our hearts. Joe Stoll, who used to be president of the Moody Bible Institute when I was there, used to say, all talk is heart talk. Your words reveal your heart. Jesus was calling these men to change at their very root. It wouldn't be enough to just stop saying these things about Jesus and Beelzebub. They would need to change at the very root of their beings. They would need, in fact, a new heart. How about your heart? Do you have a new heart? The good news is that Jesus is in the business of giving out new hearts to those who repent and trust in Him. Have you done that? I hope so. If not, I invite you to do that right now. Turn from your sin and turn to the Savior because we don't just naturally have good hearts. I think that's one of our big mistakes is just to assume that everybody has a good heart. We aren't born with good hearts. Naturally, our hearts are deceptive and wicked, and we need new ones. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and give us a new heart. Don't lie to yourself and say, no, I'm good. I don't need that. I'm I'm a good person. I've got a good heart. See, that's what these Pharisees believed about themselves. Get real about your heart. Now, we who are already followers of Jesus know that even though we have been given a new and good heart, that we still need to tend to our hearts. They still need renewing. We still need repentance and growth in faith. We need to stay real about our hearts. If things are coming out of our mouths that should not come out of our mouths, then we can know that there is heart work that still needs to be done. Verse 35. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. That's how it works. 
And if you're finding that there are still evil things come drudging up out of you, and I'm sure you do, then there are still things in your heart that need repenting of and turning from. We can't just fix things up on the word level. We have to have them fixed on the heart level. And that requires getting real about what's going on inside. What are you worshiping? What are you wanting? What is your heart desiring above all other things that's prioritizing, directing you? What has your heart? Because what controls your heart will control your life and come out in your words. I've been fighting with anxiousness the last month or so. With the sin of worry. And it's come out in my words. It's come out in anxious words. A lot of obsessing about this or that. It's come out in self-protective words. Defensive words. It's come out in manipulative words. Exasperated words. If I'm not getting what I want, what I'm all upset and worried about, then people around me pay for it. Those words would not have been my words if my heart had been in the right place. Forget my situation. Situation could be good, could be bad. What's going on in here is what determines what comes out of here. Now I'm thankful that my words were not, Jesus is the devil. But some of my words have communicated, Jesus is not enough for me. I've got to have this, this, and this to be happy and content and peaceful. I apologize to those of you who have been affected by my words because you're getting a taste of what's in my heart. How about you? If you got real about your heart, what would you need to change? Of what would you need to repent, to turn from at this heart level, to turn away from that sin and to turn and trust in the promises of God? What promises of Christ do you need your heart to claim? When you're doing that, different things come out of your mouth. Because this is serious stuff. Look at verse 36. You see how serious this gets? But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now let's, let's be very clear. Jesus is not saying that you can save yourself on the day of judgment by having good words. Jesus is saying that on the day of judgment, which is coming, the words you have said will be evidence of what was in your heart. By your words, you're, you are, uh, I just read it, acquitted or condemned. They're evidence. If you've trusted in Jesus, there'll be plenty of words that show it. If you have not trusted in Jesus, there'll be plenty of words that show that too. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned because they will reveal the reality of your heart. Did that happen for the thief on the cross? Yes, it did. 
Sometimes I think we think that the thief on the cross didn't have much time to change. Did the thief on the cross have a changed life? He sure did. His words changed, didn't they? The Bible tells us that at the beginning of the crucifixion, he was hurling insults at Jesus, just like the guy on the other side of him. And at some point, he turned. And then he started to defend Jesus. And then he said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me? His heart changed, and then so did his words. Now notice this. Notice how deep this accountability goes. Jesus didn't just bang on those who speak maliciously about his identity. He goes after every idle word. Look at verse 36 again. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every malicious, hateful word they have ever spoken. Is that what it says? No, it says every careless word that they have spoken. We're kind of like, yeah, those Pharisees. Jesus isn't Satan. What a problem they had. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Snake, snake heart, snake words. But what about your heart? What about your words? Because it's not just the big ones. It's all the little ones. Any of our words that don't come out of a good heart, application point number two and last, get careful about your mouth. You can't do that without getting real about your heart, but it comes out in what you say. I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. So yes, that's talking about gossip, but also about slander, also about sinful exaggeration and flat-out lies, meddling in other people's business, telling dirty jokes, passing on falsehoods, ridiculing people, insulting them, sinfully complaining about them, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, every careless word. Our Lord says that we will have to give an account for every careless word. Not just every malicious word that we intentionally threw out there. We think we're going to have to give an account for rolling out the cannon. Boom! Shooting, right? But this is for every little snipe shot, every little BB Everyone that we weren't even really thinking about, but out it popped. We'll have to give an account. Thought experiment for you. Think about every conversation you had at Thanksgiving this year. Are you happy with everything you said about anything you said about everyone that you talked about at the holiday meal? When you sit down with your Lord someday for this accountability review, is there anything you said that you'll be embarrassed that will be brought up? I'm guessing yes. I can think of mine. If your answer is no, I say, good for you. Praise God, your heart is better than mine. And also, get real about your heart because it can be deceptively wicked. Now, thought experiment, multiply that by every single conversation you've ever had. 
And that's what you will need to be accountable for on Judgment Day. If you belong to Jesus, then all your sinful talk will be forgiven. Don't don't hear me saying that you're going to have to pay for your sins. You are not. Your sins have been forgiven if you belong to Jesus. They have been forgiven. They are forgiven. They will be forgiven. But you will still apparently still need to go over it with Him as a review. What do you want that to be like? When Jesus says, what were you thinking here, my child? What should you have said then, my daughter? What were you worshiping at that point, my son? What were you trying to accomplish? What, where was your heart? Because he says, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. And that counts for every word that you have tweeted or posted or texted as well. Once a week, I go back over all the emails that I have sent in the previous week and remind myself of what I've been saying and what I've been working on. And I also go back over my social media accounts once a week to see what I have liked and shared and posted and said. Someday, I'll have to do that with my Lord. We probably ought to think about that before we hit publish next time. Or share. Or like. Every status update. Every DM on Twitter. Every PM on Messenger. Everything said under my breath in the checkout line or at the intersection. Everything I only said to my best friend or only said to my wife or only said to my dad. There's somebody else listening. And there will be an accountability review. So now's the time to get careful about your mouth. Again, you can't do that by just focusing on your mouth. Okay, I'll just stop. You can't do that. You've got to go to the heart level. If you're ripping people up one side and down the other, you can't just stop by sheer force of will. You've got to repent and trust in the promises of God for there to be real and lasting change. But you also can't just let your mouth run on wherever it wants to go. Because someday soon you're going to have to talk to the Lord about all of your choices. And not just the big ones. It turns out the small ones are big ones too. Where do you need to start? I recommend today, starting with prayer, that the Lord would reveal to you the sinful words that you most recently have uttered that came spilling out of the overflow of your heart. And then take those words to the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness. And if they were uttered to someone else in a way that hurt them, then go to that person and ask their forgiveness as well. Better to talk it out now than for it to be a big surprise on Judgment Day. Where do you need to start?